I'm Katie J. And I'm Katie H. Welcome to the Katie's. Welcome. Welcome back. <laughs> Good to have you. We're happy to have you on this uh, special little journey with our shorter church history type episodes that we've been doing for you guys. Um, excited about the one we have to bring for you today. And this one is Miss Katie J. Yes. I'm excited to uh, dive into this one with you guys. It is something um, that if you are a Christian, this very much is... Um, something you can observe in your own church, and yeah, this one's see this one's probably of. one of the more like practical ones yeah. of this series. Yeah, absolutely. And so we are actually just going to be talking about worship and super specifically like corporate musical worship and yeah. what it looked like in the Old Testament to the 20th century and how or 21st century, I guess, yeah. and how we got where we're at now. And yeah. so it's really very interesting. And there's a lot to kind of discuss in the midst of it of like what this means for our faith and mm -hmm. why certain things, you know, we're dishonoring to the Lord and stuff like that. And so, yeah, um, and this is a, a big, good one. This is a big hot topic these days. So it's always helpful mm -hmm. when dealing with a hot topic to have some perspective on this issue beyond just your current perspective as well. Yes, so. absolutely. And uh, we did already do an episode on worship uh, in a much broader sense. So we touched on a little, little, little bit of mm -hmm. uh, church history in that, but uh, kind of heavily emphasized the heart posture and worship and all of that stuff. But I will link that episode in this description. It'll be a good companion. Yes, uh, very much so. I would, yeah. I think that that would be a great one. But we are going to kind of dive in here. I used two, two to three uh, resources for this. I'll have those linked as well. I'm not going to be referencing them the whole time. Mm -hmm. But I used this one. Um, I don't know if it was like a blog post or a, it almost looked like a textbook, but it was so, so good. So good, so informative. And so I would encourage you guys, if you have some extra time to like sit down and really read over it, if this, if what after, was it, what was it through? Um, it was called, I think it was actually like a church's website. Okay. And they had done a bunch of their own like worship church history research. Yeah. So it's like a footnoted like reference. Yeah. That's super cool. Yeah. It's super nice. And so that'll be linked. It's just in like a PDF format. But if after this episode, you're like, wait, this is really interesting. Please go and read that. That's mm -hmm. like exponentially more in detail. And most of this was kind of pulled from, from that. So um, we're going to kind of start off with Old Testament worship practices. And this um, is <laughs> honestly this episode. I'll say this once so I don't keep saying it is like criminally under detailed. <laughs> mm -hmm. there, we are doing such a broad overview of the different uh, styles of worship and the different time periods of worship. So, um, I, I mean, there's people whose entire life is dedicated to studying these things. Yes. So like <laughs> we don't need to pretend we're those PhDs exactly. of, you know, religious studies or like we exactly. don't need to pretend we're those people. No, um, we are. We are not that guy. <laughs> no. And I don't think most of you listening are that guy either. So, no. you know, we'll give you the references, but <laughs> yes. Exactly. So um, this is this is the airplane view. <laughs> uh -huh. But 
Old Testament worship, uh, we see like Psalms, you know, those are a lot of those are songs. And you'll see actually in a lot of our Bibles, it will actually mention like to be accompanied by the the, the harp and the lyre, yeah, you yeah. know, like that kind of stuff. And so these were meant to be songs sung by the people um, or by different choirs and things like mm-hmm. that. And so this is kind of like that earliest form of actual like sonic worship Mm -hmm. that we're seeing is the Psalms. And then David, who wrote a lot, a lot of the Psalms, Mm -hmm. um, kind of established this like 24 seven worship model in the temple. So he, you know, he basically employed all of these people to come and be worshiping literally around the clock, Mm -hmm. um, which is so crazy to think about, but they, all played instruments. They sang. It was a very like what we think of worship now. Obviously, it sounded different, mm-hmm. but it's kind of that same model of, you know, there's these singers and then there's the musicians and really fast, too. I don't know if you're going to touch into the Levites, um, but they're in a book that I was reading recently. It was going a little bit into detail from even like before the Psalms, like the precedent for what you're talking about is that like in Leviticus, like in the law, there were some parameters put in place and like expectations for worship. And there was an entire class of the Levites Mm -hmm. that what they were was worshipers and they went into battle with the Israelites. Like they um, were employed, they were experts like in their craft. They like, there were specific of those Levites that what they did was make the instruments and then there were the singers and then there were all these different things. So music was from the beginning Mm -hmm. of God's people worshiping Yahweh, you know, like was part of something that he like, instituted and ordinated and there was like a rich history like genealogically and um like there would have been songs that even like before psalms were um used for specific like feasts and celebrations and um like it it was a very musical beautiful culture in a lot of ways which is just it's so cool to think about absolutely and i want to encourage you guys to read first chronicles 16 4 through 6 Mm -hmm. and it kind of explains a little bit of what you just talked about, but also just part of David's specific plan to honor the Lord, yeah. Um, where he appointed the Levites as ministers before the Ark of Adonai, yeah, to petition, to thank, and to praise Adonai, yeah, the God of Israel. Well, and if you think about it too, like just some again some context, David is coming in and sort of being like the first one to faithfully, yeah, build the temple and reinstitute like how God had actually called His people yeah. to worship in sacrifices and all of these things, but he was coming in and establishing faithful worship. And that included music and going, he was going back to the Torah and back to all these things and drawing from that. And then also with his own inspiration and his own clear musical gifting and all of that, like bringing new elements of that to Mm -hmm. the worship of Yahweh. Like it's just, it's, it's really rich. It's not just one guy that just decided to like do all of this. He's, um, he's upholding something that had been blueprinted a he while is, ago. He is, <laughs> yeah. And he's also like placed, like, you know, he's divinely appointed. Like mm-hmm. he's um, the king that God has like chosen and established and God's put him there for a reason and he has all these gifts and it's really cool. Yeah, it is really cool. And it to also just note here, this is something we'll see throughout this episode. They don't necessarily have like a corporate worship setting of like, we're all going to stand and we're all going to worship together. But like (laughs) you were talking about, like they would go into battle with these songs. They would, you know, sing these songs in victory. They would Mm -hmm. sing this at 
They would sing the, it at Passover. They would sing things exactly. at weddings. They would sing things at like specific, you know, celebrations. Exactly. The it was so deeply interwoven with just society because mm-hmm. their society was, you know, it was the Jewish faith. And mm-hmm. so there was not this separation that we see now of, um, okay, we're all going to sing this song together on Sunday mornings. It was just life and life was worship and worship was life. Mm-hmm. And obviously... They had their 8 million shortcomings. This is not to like glorify everything that they were doing, but there's something so sweet to think like Mm -hmm. just you, there was so much unity as a culture to just like, I don't know, lift up praise to the Lord in that kind of way. And thinking about how like ancient, even like by the time of David, like how ancient some of these like songs would have been and these practices and melodies and the things that he would have been drawing from like would have already been to them like of their ancestors hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before them being brought out of Egypt and it just it's so so beautiful and we we miss so much of that like in (laughs) just in our modern society and this is a tangent and we can totally cut this if we want to (laughs) but I when I think of this like one of the first things that I thought of in the chosen in this most recent mm-hmm. season, there's a whole episode that is kind of centered around a specific Psalm, like a Psalm of like mourning and supplication. Mm-hmm. And, um, in the episode, like it shows the like musicians bringing this song to David, like to be yeah. approved or edited or whatever. And it's so beautiful. Like it it's such is. a beautiful picture of, um, what that like may have looked like. And I just, I would encourage you to look at that because it's, oh, it's yeah. so cool. And there's so many things in The Chosen too where we get, for those of us who are not familiar with Jewish culture mm-hmm. in like an intimate way to see like what an actual Sabbath meal would have looked like yeah. and how would the songs they would have sang and the prayers they would have prayed. And yeah. um, just to give you a little bit of like familiarity with what that actually would have looked like in, yeah. in the ancient world. Absolutely. No, I've been, I was thinking about mm-hmm. that episode while I was writing this because it had me crying. Yeah. Well, <laughs> so it, there, it's just such it's an emotional episode anyway, but yeah. And it's just so great to like see it in front of your face, mm-hmm. like what this would have looked like. Right. But, okay. So that is like the outrageously oversimplified version of Old yes. Testament worship. Yes, yes. And now uh, the second kind of era I want to talk about is the early Christian church. So we're talking like 100 to 700 AD. This is like house churches popping up after, you know, after Jesus ascended and all this stuff. So we see hymns introduced and popularized during this time. Um, so, you know, obviously we've had variations of that mm-hmm. up until this point, but it's a little bit different. Um, however, instrumental accompaniment is rare if present at all due to its association with pagan cultures at the mm-hmm. time. So they're kind of like, I don't know, the pagan cultures are using a lot of instruments and what they're doing. Yeah. And a I lot feel, of like chaos and yes. drum beats and like the emotional like mm-hmm. stirring of music was a big part of pagan worship practices, especially yes. like sexual worship practices and all these other things like in temples and yeah it would make sense that the church at that time was like trying to distinguish themselves from that (laughs) exactly so they kind of ex-nade the instrumental accompaniment and then also something that they were doing is they were reciting psalms in unison Mm -hmm. or by like alternating groups so like you would have two groups of people one group would say this half of the psalm the other group would say this half of the psalm where they were like almost reciting it to each other Mm. um some churches did this to avoid the hymn format because there was some heretical movements (laughs) happening at the time that used hymns as like a popular means of like 
propagating false doctrines. Yeah. And so, again, we're seeing them kind of like, okay. <laughs> Nothing well, new under the sun. Exactly. We'll just, we'll just leave that there. Exactly. But they're kind of having to uh, back out of something that they were wanting to do because obviously the enemy uses anything he can to perpetuate mm -hmm. his, you know, whatever. Yeah. I don't know what the word I'm looking for. Agenda. And so he got into the church and started using hymns. And so the church was like, all right, maybe we should just quote the Psalms to each other. Yeah. Uh, stick into God's word. So that is kind of early Christian church. Now we move into the medieval time, um, which 700 to 1500 AD is kind of how the mm -hmm. resource I was looking at broke it down. And this is kind of where things got real um, funky. And so hymns continued in their popularity, but they became less accessible to the general population. Um, so monks or other designated groups would perform a hymn for the congregation. Mm -hmm. And there's a couple reasons for this, but this is kind of the time period in which written music was kind of invented. So there was a certain class of people that could read music mm -hmm. and the lay person could not. Yes. And then also... It was the artisans and the... Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or the people committing their lives to the church. Educated, so the monks yeah. and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. And those ironically like were the educated yes. upper echelon in that time. Yeah. And well, because everything was centered around the Catholic church. Mm -hmm. So yeah. But, um, there also, it was all in Latin, which was slowly being phased out as the common language. And so a lot of people didn't know Latin anymore and all of their worship songs were in Latin. And meant nothing to them. Exactly. And yeah. then also there's kind of this piece of like this sort of like layered musical style was being brought to popularity. So what mm -hmm. we know is like harmony and melody and like all of this of the true choir format yeah. was kind of being brought up. And that's really hard. That's mm -hmm. not something that somebody just walking in off the street can be like, oh, I think I can do that. Yeah. Um, you can find a lot of this stuff online too. Like you yeah. can actually listen to a lot of these yeah. medieval um, hymns and songs. And it's, it's worth, it's worth looking into because it's fascinating, especially mm -hmm. if you are like, a true non-denom evangelical. You've yes. never even been around like a Catholic mass or anything. It's worth listening to and getting a feel for these things to see like what it would have been like. And, you know, imagine yourself like a medieval <laughs> poor person, mm -hmm. like in a parish or whatever. And you're listening to this stuff. Like you're, you're overwhelmed, you're insignificant. Like you have no connection to these things other than just feeling small and overwhelmed, like <laughs> a little bit sad to think about. Yeah, absolutely. And so we were kind of seeing a slow decline in con in congressional, not congressional, nope. congregational. <laughs> yep. I was like, that's not the one. <laughs> so I don't think that's what you're um, <laughs> participation because yes. they simply could not participate. Yeah. And this is also kind of the time when Gregorian chants rose to popularity. Mm -hmm. Another really crazy thing, look it up, hard to do, not accessible to the lay person. Mm -hmm. um, the organ was also introduced into the worship setting in this time. Mm -hmm. So we see kind of every single dynamic of like corporate worship, which I don't think you could call this corporate because the, yeah. the congregation was not participating. But Used in worship services. Yes, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And so you see all of it kind of shifting. It's that reintroduction of instruments. It's the establishment of kind of a very rigid and formal type of worship. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but overall, this time period contributed greatly to that decline in participation. And I think it's just crazy how married they were to Latin <laughs> that they could not make this accessible to the people. You yeah. know, like you go to church, it would be like going to church and everything's in a different language for what? Mm-hmm. Like for literally no reason. Yeah. Other than, well, that's what they thought the Bible should be, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. and well, and it, it just, it centralized the, the authority of the Catholic church. That well, was, that was like the, the mode of their ability yes. to do that and to keep it. Yeah you know, under reins and all well, of that stuff. it made them indispensable. Exactly. You couldn't get rid of something you needed to right. access the Lord. Right. And, yeah, but again, even in all of this, they're not accessing the Lord because they don't even know what's being said. Right. And, you know, obviously the Lord is glorified in worship, even when people don't understand it. Like you can go to another country, hear their worship, still be moved by the spirit and have no clue what they're saying. Yeah. Um, but you can't participate in the same way. Yeah. And this is another interesting thing was kind of happening during this time. This is a little bit of a side note, um, but they would also like the priests or whatever, they would pray and they would pray in like a whisper so nobody could like hear them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they would literally be like reciting things or praying and they would do it like all under their breath. And so the congregation didn't even hear it. And there was all of this stuff that was just really honestly pushing the congregation out of the equation. And it was just a rich man's game at this point. Mm-hmm. And we, we're going to be talking about this a lot throughout this whole series because it's just central to yeah. uh, our Protestant faith. But um, this was kind of what started to bring about the antsiness in the church of like, what are we even doing? Yeah. If we can't even understand what you're praying and we right. can't even participate, then what's the point? Right. Yeah. I mean, it's so much of, and I'm, we're, I'm imagining right now I'm going to get to mm-hmm. this, but so much of the Protestant Reformation was reclaiming like the gospel for all and reclaiming the like necessity of biblical literacy and personal worship and all of these things like for the individual to be able to participate in that it didn't need to be something that was like done for them or on their behalf yeah um that jesus came to have personal relationship and i yeah even in worship you can see how that was something that was lacking and people were starving for it Yeah, absolutely. And it really does make you think about why do we worship? And I don't want to belabor that in this episode. Go listen to our other one. Mm -hmm. But what is the purpose? And it's not the pomp and circumstance. To write the most complicated layered melodies and harmonies and to impress everyone else and compete with the different churches (laughs) in the different cities and blah, blah, blah. Like it's it's such (laughs) an adulteration of what worship is, you know? A hundred percent. But then, yes, so the next kind of time period is the Reformation. So this is like the 1500s. Again, tons and tons of stuff here. But to just to simplify it for all of us, this was a period of extensive change in the landscape of the church, mm-hmm. like period. Um, and worship practices definitely reflected that. So congregational worship was brought back into popularity as songs were put back in the dominant vernacular. Mm-hmm. Um, and the overall experience was conducive to the lay people. So mm-hmm. it's putting the ball back in the people's court and saying, okay, here are all of these songs that you haven't been able to understand this whole time. We're going to translate it into the dominant 
language of the time yeah. or wherever they were, you know, whatever it looked like and make it accessible to you. Mm-hmm. Make it something that you can understand. And then also with the whole praying under their breath thing, like these, you know, priests started coming out and being like, no, I will not pray under my breath. I'm going to pray out loud mm-hmm. so everybody can hear me. And um, and it brought a sort of accountability back into the church and it brought community back into the church and all of this stuff. So we kind of see like this revitalization of faith being something for every man, not just the wealthy and educated coming back. Yeah. And directly hand in hand with translations of the Bible into the Mm -hmm. common vernacular and all these things too. Like it's all very interconnected. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And then the next time period, there's a lot that happens between the Reformation and the Great Awakenings, I want (laughs) to say. It's really convoluted and honestly a little bit hard to understand. So I didn't commentate on it too much but like I said you can read those resources it's really great just really hard to condense um so we're gonna jump to the great awakenings Mm -hmm. this is kind of 1700s to the 1900s this is we are truly in western Christianity at this point so this is focused heavily on the Americas Mm -hmm. um the Americas America the United States. Yeah, the Americas. (laughs) The Americas. So this time period focused almost exclusively on conversion or rededication. So services became very response oriented. Mm -hmm. And this is something we see carried through to today. Mm -hmm. Um, And where worship is kind of something to elicit a response. And we talked about this in our other worship episode. There is something to be said for the fact that God created music and it elicits an emotional response. That is what it does. Yeah. But it can also be used to manipulate. And so um, we kind of see that happening maybe a little bit in this time because we're seeing... um, these big tent meetings where they want all these people to give their lives to the Lord. And so they're playing their most emotional ballads Mm -hmm. and they're kind of, um, they repopularized an emotional, like instrumental accompaniment during this time. Mm -hmm. So somebody would go be going absolutely ham on the organ (laughs) Mm -hmm. during the songs and stuff to kind of provoke people to an openness to the spirit, which is, amazing. Yeah. God uses that. Yeah. But it also was a time very, very, very driven by uh, wanting to see conversions. So the whole format of the church service was kind of switched during this time to accommodate for like an altar call. Mm -hmm. And that is kind of where we see the altar call come in for the first time. It's a pretty dang modern idea. Yes. And so we actually kind of see the altar call replace the practice of communion in this time period. So, (laughs) yeah, I mean, not like fully, but when you put it that way, (laughs) yes, there's like they kind of (laughs) ex-nade communion. They're like, "Ah." and replaced it with the altar call for people to be able to respond personally to what they had just heard. And mostly what they had just heard was the fire and brimstone, go to hell or repent message. Mm-hmm. Um, if you ever need an example, go read Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God and you'll be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I would be sprinting to the front too because yeah. um, you're terrified. <laughs> but um, Seriously, if you've never read that, you you should. Yes. It's a... It's an important one to to read. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but so this period is is very interesting. We see the lasting impact of it um, in our modern church today, 
altar calls are very common. Communion is less common, especially in the large non-denominational churches. Mm-hmm. And I think that those are both footprints left by this yeah. time period of the Great Awakening. Yeah. Um, both Great Awakenings. There's two of them. It covers a really broad, you know, time expanse period, of time. Yeah. But worship becomes corporate, very emotional, very response driven. Mm-hmm. Um, but honestly reflecting Old Testament worship a little bit more closely than these last few, you know, thousand years. Yeah, exactly. These last thousand years, because um, it's allowing the people to partake together in a more joyous form of worship Mm -hmm. and a more unifying form of worship. And so there's something definitely to be said for that. Um, Then we move into the 20th century, and this is kind of where we'll end this episode because it pretty much brings us up to speed. Um, But two factions of people kind of broke off during this time. One group adopted more energetic and simple, more modern worship and dropped most religious acts. Um, So this is your traditional non-denoms right now. Mm -hmm. Um, And the other adhered to the more traditional hymn and organ style of worship, honestly, probably, you know, a little bit less energetic than the Great Awakening, like all Mm -hmm. of this stuff brought it back to a little bit of more of a somber thing, um, but still brought into modern times a little bit. It Mm -hmm. wasn't no Gregorian chants or anything Mm -hmm. like that, Yeah, but um, still just simplified and more traditional. Um, But this time period is characterized by its accessibility to the masses. Everyone can find a place to worship in a way that they understand. And that is, that's kind of where I want to end is right now. Honestly, I was filled with gratitude while writing this because how amazing that we live in a time where we can access any genre of worship we would want to, any style, any church we can just go to and find something that's most conducive to our (laughs) style. You know those those TikToks and stuff that are like, like what would like kill a Victorian child? Yes. Like our our worship services yes. and like a medieval peasant. Like, can yeah. you imagine? Like, oh my that's, gosh. I know that's like a really ridiculous way for me to have said that. No, but, but like, 100%. Honestly, like we are so fortunate to have so many options. And yeah. with that also comes the unique complicated problems that we have of like discerning yeah. the theology and our worship music and discerning yes. all these things for ourselves because we do have so many options and we do have so much variety and there is so much of it that is just taste and preference. And then mm-hmm. there's also a really big component of it that is like, no, there are requirements. This, yes. this must be true. It must honor God. It must honor his word yeah. for it to be worship, you know, and it just, we're in a unique position historically. Yeah, we are. And it's, I, I feel blessed to be in this unique position as opposed to, you know, another yeah. one where I couldn't even Where music understand. isn't even, or, or where like music isn't even, part of your life. Yeah. Like there, you just don't experience it almost ever. Like 
I just, I can't imagine yeah. that world. That is so wild. But that was our super speedy, super inadequate view of the history of worship. <laughs> and I hope, uh, I hope us, you enjoyed it. Give us our doctorates. That was our dissertation. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned a thing or two. I know I learned a thing or two. Definitely. Uh, like I said, everything's linked in the description. If you want to do a deep dive, I encourage you do. Um, and I also encourage you to follow us at the Katie's Podcast and email us at thekatiespodcast at gmail.com. We would love, love, love to hear from you. Indeed. All right. See you later. Talk to you soon. Bye.